Well, good evening, Rocky Peak. Great to see you all here. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors. And if it's your very first time here, I want to especially uh, welcome you. We're so glad you're here with us. So we're going to go into a time of teaching uh, in just a minute. But I wanted to make you aware of something. A lot of you will know this through social media or just natural webs of a relationship. But, you know, we had a pastor here for many, many years uh, named uh, Fred Martin. And uh, Fred was uh, deeply loved, and he retired a while back. Um, and moved to uh, Idaho with his wife Becky this last year. And um, that this last Thursday night, uh, he's been sick and he uh, passed away, went to be with the Lord, or as I call it, graduated. Uh, and so um, we just want to be praying for them. Uh, I don't know all the details. I'm sure the service will be up there. But uh, his wife Becky is there. Uh, son Fred from our church here. You know, Fred and Sharif Martin and their family are part of Rocky Peak here. And Fred went up there, flew up there. And so, um, I don't know all the most recent details, but just want to be aware of that. It's a life well lived. Uh, I want to celebrate that, and, uh, but also our hearts go out to the family as we, uh, we, we cover them in prayer during this time of loss. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're going to be going into the time of teaching. Inside your program is green and white message note sheet. If you're here all the time, you'll know that, but if not, if you're brand new, uh, again, welcome, and you'll want to pull that out. That would definitely help you follow along. So you guys ready to go? Ready to jump in? Okay, let's pray. Well, Father, we're just so thankful for this time to be together. And, and Lord, I just want to begin by thanking you for Fred and his life uh, and, the, and the many, many hundreds and thousands of lives he touched not only here as a care pastor here, but through his ministry of chaplaincy uh, at, uh, Wood, in Woodland Hills at the Kaiser there. We just thank you, Lord, for a life well lived. And we give praise for his life. And Lord, as we uh, turn him over to you now, we, we pray for his family. We pray for Becky. We pray for Fred Sharif, their family here, um, and all those that um, knew them. We just pray that you'd be with them in a powerful way. And Fathers, we come today to continue this series and, and learning what does it look like to, to not only love you, but to, to love you by loving those around us. Uh, we pray that you would lead us and guide us in this time. We pray for your presence would be thick in this room. We would sense your spirit here speaking and leading and guiding and opening eyes in our lives uh, to our path for growth and becoming the people we were created to be that we could love as you've loved us. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today. Uh, it's a border town. And it's a, it's a beautiful day, and it's, uh, this, border, this border town is on a beautiful lake, but he's not by the lake, he's in his office downtown, it's a busy day, and uh, he'll never forget this day. Um, he didn't know at the start of the day anything special about this day, he's like any other day, going to the office, doing his job, but uh, he was just shocked when he had this surprise encounter that day. And uh, what, what even shocked him more was the invitation that was extended to him. Uh, people like him, people that do what he does, um, are not typically extended this sort, of, uh, this sort of invitation, this sort of honor. And so he is incredibly excited about this. So he decides to throw a party, invite a lot of his friends, kind of business associates, and it's going so well. The party is going great. And then all of a sudden, some uninvited guests came. And as they came in the room, you could sense the energy leaving the party. And the longer they stayed, the more the tension was rising. And that's when it happened. <laughs> well, today... We are uh, continuing this series, this new series we just started last week called Loving People, Doing Relationships a Whole New Way. And if you're new, uh, I do want to welcome you. And what, what we've learned in this series so far is that when Jesus came, he said that God has two top priorities for our lives. So our first priority is that we would love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our, all our mind. In other words, that, that knowing him, that loving him, pleasing him, we be our top priority in life. But then he said the second priority, which flows out of the first, this is what's most important to him, is that we would learn to love one another, love our neighbor as ourselves, and later as, he, as Jesus put, to love one another as he has loved us. 
But the challenge that we face in our lives, even after we come to Christ, is that often, though we might have the highest of intentions, we often are not sure how to live out a life of love in everyday life. And so what happens is we often tend to fall back on old practices, old habits, old models we picked up uh, over the course of our life, um, and which are often uh, dysfunctional and often uh, destructive. And so what we're doing in this series is going back to the Word to say, what does the Word teach us about what does it look like to live out a life of love and do relationships a whole new way, the kind of the Jesus way. And so today, the topic on the table today as we launch in this series is uh, authenticity. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with loving people as God has loved us? But as we learned last week, that if we want to grow in love, we have to grow up. We have to grow up spiritually. We have to grow up emotionally. We have to grow up in our core character so that we have the capacity to love well. And what we're going to learn today is that if, in order to grow up spiritually, emotionally, and in our core character, the first step is to learn how to build, to, be, to develop kind of authenticity in our life, learn how to be what I call being radically honest with our, ourself, uh, with God, and with some trusted others in our life. And so we're going to unpack that today and see how these things come together, how this impacts our relationships. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Authenticity, the first step. And what I want to do is start today with three basic principles about authenticity, how it works, how it impacts our relationships, and then come back at the end and ask kind of two-pointed questions to help us grow in uh, living more authentic lives so that we can uh, love people well and develop more authentic relationships. So number one goes like this, that authenticity is the first step. Authenticity is the first step. And you say, well, the first step to what? And uh, it's the first step to our own personal growth, to our own personal transformation, uh, to our own personal, whether spiritual growth, emotional growth, or core character growth, so that we have the capacity to love well. And I want to start today with a statement we're going to come back to often. I just wanted to put it there because it's kind of too long to fill out all the many blanks. Um, and so it's, it's just a statement of mine. So I'm quoting Michael Yearly here. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it felt really odd. It felt really odd. But, but uh, anyway, here we go. <laughs> but here, here's how it goes. If we want to grow, the first step is to learn to be radically honest with God, ourselves, and some trusted others with our deepest thoughts, feelings, and motives, especially the darkest ones. That if we want to be transformed, we want to grow, we want to become like Jesus, we want to develop the capacity to love others well, the first step is learn to be radically honest. What I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, why I'm doing what I'm doing, my motives, uh, and to be able to come to grips with myself and bring in the presence of God and with some trusted others. And the reason this is so important is because until we face the truth of what's going inside of ourselves, that not even Jesus can help us. And I want to illustrate this today with a story from the life of Jesus. And this is the story that we started the day with. Uh, we started the day with the story of this man who is going to work in a bordered town on a beautiful lake. And this is a story in the Bible of a man named Matthew uh, he also goes by the name Levi, and he's a tax collector. And so in his culture in first century Israel, this means by definition he's a super sinner. Because to collect, uh, to collect taxes for Rome means that you've betrayed your own country, kind of sold yourself out to the occupying power. But even more than that, it, it means that you are very likely compromising your core character in the way that you're making a living. And so as a result, um, in Israel, tax collectors, along with sinners and other, uh, or along with prostitutes and other people that didn't follow all the Jewish laws were, were known as sinners, right? And so we would call them like super sinners. And so Matthew was uh, kind of a self-described super sinner. He was a man by definition far from God. And on this particular day, 
He's at his customs booth uh, collecting taxes going from one, uh, one kind of county to another in Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee, which is Jesus has recently moved to to make his headquarters. And so it has to be the shock of his life when Jesus, this young rabbi, this young prophet that's taken the town by storm, recently come in with amazing new teaching, power and authority. He's healing many in the town. He's uh, freeing people from demonization. That it has to blow his mind when he approaches Matthew at his tax collecting office and he calls Matthew to leave his life of tax collecting and to follow Jesus and become part of his leadership team. Uh, it had to be something that just was absolutely shocking to him. But uh, my hunch is, is that God has been preparing Matthew for this for a while. And uh, we don't know all the story, but when someone comes to Jesus this way, there's usually a story. And my guess is he's heard Jesus teach. Uh, he has probably watched Jesus heal or, or had friends that have had firsthand reports. And so when Jesus extends this incredibly gracious offer, he's blown away and he immediately says, yes, this is what I'm looking for. So he leaves his life, he begins to follow Jesus. But what he wants to do, he's so excited, he wants to throw a party for all his rowdy friends and invite Jesus and then bring these friends together. And so he throws this party and he has a dinner and he invites all his rowdy friends, all his tax gatherers, probably some prostitutes, just people that are kind of outside, the, you know, not churchgoers. And he invites Jesus to come to the party. And things are going really well until some ultra hyper religious people come. Now, as we like to say around here, religion kills. And so when the religious people come, of course, there goes the party. And so these religious people come in and we, we call them Pharisees and they're very self-righteous and very holier than thou. And so as they come in, but they're highly respected in their culture. These are kind of like the, uh, the gold standard of spirituality. And so when they come in, they are really bothered that Jesus is hanging out with super sinners. And the reason is in their mindset is that if you want to get close to God, you have to stay far away from anyone else that is far from God. And so it just kind of blew their paradigm. And so they're, they don't really have the courage to challenge Jesus. They're already learning that's a bad thing to do. And so they start kibitzing to his staff, to the disciples. And uh, Jesus picks up on this, and so he stops the party, and he's very gracious. And, of course, the question is, why are you hanging out with super sinners? And what he says is there in your note sheet in Mark 2.17, he says, well, this is why... He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the home, the sick. And he said, so I have come to call, I have not come to call the righteous, I've, but sinners. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, uh, I'm like a doctor. And the reason I've come is not to condemn, I've come to heal. And these people are very sick spiritually, and I've come to heal them. But at another level, I think he's saying something even more profound to these self-righteous religious leaders. What he's saying is until you're willing to admit you're sick, not even I can help you. And so this is why that as followers of Jesus, it is so important that we learn to live in the truth. We learn to live in reality because uh, it, this is why the first step to our growth is being radically honest about what we're thinking, feeling, our motives, and especially the dark side because until we're willing to face the truth about this, not even Jesus can help us. And so stop and think about it. If you have cancer, for example, but you're not willing to go to the doctor to check out the lump, or when you go to the doctor, you're not willing to be honest for your symptoms 
because you're afraid of the prescription he's going to give, not even the best doctor in all the world can help you. And so in our lives, Jesus comes as a physician and he comes into our lives and the first step to our, to our growth is learning to be radically honest with what we're thinking, what we're feeling, and what our motives are, especially the dark side. This, by the way, is why confession of sin is so important. And this is something we often misunderstand in Christian circles. Often in Christian circles, when someone comes to Jesus, one of the first things we tell them is that you need to confess your sins. When you do them, you confess your sins. But have you ever wondered why? Yes, that's true, but why is that true? It's not because God doesn't know and we need to bring him into the picture. Like, he already knows so why is it so important for us to say? It's not for him, it's for us. When we come before Jesus and confess our sins, what we're doing is coming honestly before him. We're bringing our true self to our spiritual doctor so that we can not just be forgiven, but be healed. And when you look with that lens, look what it says in 1 John, this very famous verse that many of us could probably quote from memory if we confess our sins, and I don't know if you know this, but in the Greek, the word for confess is made up of two words. It's made up of the word homo and the word lego or legeo. Homo means the same. Uh, lego means to speak. So to homo legeo means to say the same thing. In other words, it's coming in the presence. It's describing the truth about ourselves as God sees it. It's to say, it's to say the same thing about our actions or our motives, our behavior, as God would say. But notice it says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful, in other words, you can trust him, and he's just, he'll carry out his word, and he'll forgive us our sins, but he'll also what? Purify us. And so when we come to Jesus to confess our sins, this is not some sort of spiritual ritual to get back in God's good graces. This is coming to our doctor to be honest and real about what we've done or who we are, not only so we be forgiven, but so we can be healed. All right, so if we want to grow in our life, we wanna be transformed, we wanna become like Jesus, the first step is to embrace uh, this, this, uh, this authenticity that we will make, a, I'm gonna be radically honest with myself to the extent that I can of what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what my motives are, I'm gonna bring that into the presence of God so I can be healed. And there, as he heals us, we now develop the capacity to love others well because we, if we wanna grow in love, we have to grow up. Does that make sense? So our first step is the step of authenticity. And that leads to number two. Number two goes like this, that authenticity isn't easy. Now, it would seem on the surface that this would be not that hard. If Jesus is our doctor, I don't know about when you, when I go to the doctor, um, I, I'm sick or something's wrong, I don't hold back. I wanna tell him all my symptoms. I wanna give him all the information so he has everything he needs to help me get better. So on the surface, it would seem that, especially as followers of Jesus, like, why wouldn't we want to be radically honest with ourselves and God and some trusted others about what's going on in our life? But in real life, it's much more difficult. And let me give you some of the top reasons why. It's not all the reasons. But the first reason that comes to my mind is pride. That we all want to believe we're better than we are. And just if you don't believe me, just remember the last time that if you're married, your spouse, or maybe it's your brother, sister, or a boss, or a fellow co-worker, they accused you of something. The last time that they said, you're so blank, did you, was your natural response, thank you very much, that's a blind spot. <laughs> I didn't realize that about myself. You know, that's just so helpful to have a friend like you, or thank you, honey. I know you've told me that 42 times, but I don't, 
I still don't really get it. So I appreciate you being so consistent in your criticism, right? Like, no, we, we, we go to a defense. I am not. No, I'm not. That was you. That's not me. You don't understand. And what that's about is pride, that we all, we don't want to admit that something is wrong. And so if we're going to grow in authenticity, we have to grow in humility. This, by the way, is why the Pharisees didn't get along with Jesus, because they wanted to hold on to the illusion they had it all together when they didn't. A second reason that we don't want to be honest with ourselves is the fear of change or the fear of accountability. Like, think of it like this. As long as I believe I don't have an anger problem, as long as I'm convinced I'm not arrogant, as long as I believe that, yeah, it's a little problem with lust, as long as I believe that, uh, well, maybe I'm not quite as generous as I could, like, as long as I believe that, then there's no need to change. But if I face the truth about myself, it may require me to change, and I may not be willing to change. So it's much easier to pretend I have it all together because that will keep me from needing to change or from accountability. If I admit to you, yes, I have an issue, you may hold me accountable. And I don't want to be held accountable. I'm not ready. A third reason that often we, it's not as easy as we, it sounds is that a fear of rejection. And I know we can all relate to this, that we've all been in a place where, man, I haven't shared this with this person because I'm afraid if they knew this about me, they may not love me. And so I'm going to hold that back. And so uh, sometimes we'll even pretend to ourselves because inside, almost at a subconscious level, we're afraid if we admit it to ourselves, we'll have to admit it to others and we won't be loved. But I think one of our biggest fears, and this is the one I want to focus on, is a fear of rejection from God himself. And this is an interesting one because, you know, as followers of Jesus, we talk a lot about grace, don't we? I mean, we're saved by grace. And we talk a lot about grace, but... But my experience is, is that we talk a lot about grace, but we often know little of grace. That often we think of grace, when we first come to Jesus, the concept of him forgiving us for our sin is uh, perhaps powerful to us. But as we walk longer with Jesus, we often feel like by now I should have it all together. And so what happens is that we start uh, just trusting our relationship with God based on grace. But as we go on, we begin to feel, if, if I'm really honest about what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what my motives, I'm not even sure God will love me. Now catch this, I think this happens at a very deep level. It's not like we're having a conversation with ourselves like I just was articulating. I think it's more visceral than that. It's, it's much more deep-seated. We're not often not even aware of it. But the reality is, I think that as followers of Jesus, we often don't understand God's grace for us, his love for us, and so we end up pretending to be better than we are because it's too scary to admit the truth. We're afraid of the implications of our relationship with God. But what, that, what happens when we do this, it leads to a life of pretending. It leads to a life that's very superficial. And superficial people cannot have authentic relationships. And so um, you've probably experienced this. Um, we've probably all known Christ followers, and you may, this may be your story too, We've probably all known people that look fairly good on the outside, and there's a lot of spiritual activity in their life. They go to church. Um, they um, maybe read their Bible. Maybe they're in a life group. Maybe they serve. But everyone knows, don't do this. That'll push their buttons. 
Well, everyone knows, don't tell her, the whole church will know. Don't, hey, hey, don't put those two, don't invite both those to the party. Well, why not? Well, 30 years ago, there was a baby shower. And so have you ever wondered why that so many times people that are very, they're Christians and very, let's just call it religious in a non-pejorative way, just kind of they're doing all the spiritual stuff that can be as critical or more critical, as harsh or more harsh, as judgmental, uh, as, as, as judgmental or uh, uh, more judgmental um, as anyone else around us. And you say, well, why would that be? And, and one of the reasons is, is often that we have been afraid to really be radically honest with God, ourselves, and some trusted others and bring those things into the presence of Jesus where they can be healed. Because we're afraid that if we do, God will reject us. Of course, the reality is, is that you are much worse than you know. <laughs> That's why we do church. You just come here to be built up, Amen. encouraged. In the, in Jesus. No, the, the reality is, as part of the fallen race, we're all way worse than we realize. And the reality is, is that God loved us when we were far from him, just like Matthew. And if he loved us and came after us when you were an enemy, how much more does he love you and is he on your side as your doctor now that you're his son or his daughter? And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 5, he says, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the, I'm going to add some words, the brutal and horrendous torture of his son. How much more, now that we're reconciled, we're sons and daughters of the king, will we be saved in an ongoing way through his life? You see, Jesus didn't just die to forgive us, he rose to save us. And that means save us here and now. Save us from our sins. Save us from the death. Save us from the dysfunction. Save us from the destruction. And it's a beautiful day in your life and my life when you start to realize that you are not your problem. You are God's problem. Amen. Because you were bought with a price. And you now belong to him. And what that means is any problem of yours is now a problem of his. And it's a beautiful day when we start trusting God to solve the problems in our life as our spiritual doctor. Rather than trying all our home remedies to save ourselves. Amen. Amen. And it leads to a radical new freedom. You know, as followers of Jesus, we should be people that are so excited when we find out something else is screwed up with us. <laughs> we really should. It's like, like, yes, thank you for showing me that. I didn't even realize I was so proud. I didn't even realize I was so arrogant. I didn't realize I was so impure. I didn't realize I had an anger problem. Yes, let me run to my doctor because he, he lives to save me. Amen. And so I don't have to be afraid. Can I tell you, in, in my life, when that burst into me, it completely changed my life. Up to that point in his life, I'm telling you, I didn't want to hear one more sermon. I didn't want to go to one more prayer meeting. I didn't want to go to one more Bible study because I had so many things I was working on. The last thing I wanted to do is find one more thing I was doing wrong. 
And after the Holy Spirit began to show me this, I began to wake up and say, what else can I find wrong with myself today? Because I have a savior. I have a doctor. It is not my responsibility to heal myself. It's my responsibility to be radically honest with my doctor and then follow his prescription and do what he shows me so I can be healed and transformed and become the person I was created to be so I have the capacity to love others as he has loved me. Amen. You know, this next week, you're going to be reading uh, in the Life Group study a passage. Uh, this is a passage from the Schizero book. But I love this. He says, uh, going beneath the surface of our lives can feel as if we're walking on a tightrope 50 feet above the ground without a safety net below. But the gospel is like a safety net. It alone gives us the foundation to take the risk of stepping out onto the tightrope in order to explore our inner depths. What I'm calling radically honest with our, our thoughts, our emotions, our motives. The gospel says, and he's so right, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dare to believe yet you are more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope because Jesus lived and died in your place. And so as followers of Jesus, of all people on planet Earth, we should be the people that have the most freedom to be radically honest about what's going on inside because there's nothing to hide, there's nothing to fear. We can take it to our Father, we can take it to our doctor, and this is why he's come to rescue us but he can't rescue you from your anger until you admit you've got a problem. Amen. He cannot rescue you from your pride while you pretend you don't have a pride problem. He cannot rescue you from your bitterness when you say, I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. I just don't want to ever see her again. I'm not bitter. I'm not bitter. He can't rescue you from that bitterness. You can't live in freedom while you're pretending you're not bound up. Number three, the third principle is that authenticity is essential. And you say, well, what do you mean? Essential for what? Well, we've just saw it's essential for our own personal growth, transformations. We have the capacity to love others well. But it's also essential if you want to build authentic relationships with others, you have to start by building an authentic relationship with yourself. Because until you're in touch with your inner world, it's going to be very difficult to connect with and relate to someone else's inner world. If you live a very superficial life in your inner life, then that's the only capacity you have to relate with someone else is on superficial levels. Because the moment they try to go deeper with you, you will run from that relationship, you will change the subject, you will crack a joke, because you are not comfortable operating at that level of honesty. See, the, the thing is, and it sounds like a truism, it may sound obvious, but relationships are based on relating. And if I don't know my inner world, how can I relate to yours? And someone begins to share with you, I'm really struggling in my faith, and I just, I know God's there, but I don't feel it, and I, I don't, I, I just, I wonder if he sees me, and I just, and you're just like, oh, God says all things work together for good. They're coming to you at this level and you can't relate to them on that level because you've never let yourself be at that level. So all you have for them is your level, which is denial. So what you give is your platitude, you give your denial, and, that's, and what they learn is like, oh, this is not a safe person. I can't relate at this level. So I will just shut it down and you say, thank you very much. That's what I want. 
I'm looking for superficial relationships. Oh, I, I want to love you though. But just don't share what's really going on. You see? You want me to feed your cat while you're away? You know, do your laundry. But we'll keep it up here. Because we can't go down there. Because we've never gone down there in our own life. C.S. Lewis, in his, in his book, The Four Loves, wrote, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. What draws people to be friends is that they see the same truth. They share it. This is true not just of friends in general, it's true of relationships. And so if we want to connect with the deepest thoughts and emotions and motives of others, we have to know our own deepest thoughts, emotions, and motives. Like calls to like. Next week, you'll read from Peter again. <laughs> Without doing the work of becoming aware of your own feelings and actions, along with the impact on others, it's scarcely possible to enter into the life experience of other people. How can you enter someone else's world when you have not entered into your own? All right, so, so authenticity, it's the first step to our growth. Um, it is not as easy as it sounds. It can be scary to go there for a whole bunch of reasons. We've talked about that. One of the biggest ones being that we're not sure God can handle it. I'm not sure that's safe. And we've learned that it's absolutely essential, not only for our own growth, but in order to connect with others and to build true relationships we can love others well. But the question is, how do we grow in our authenticity and I want to ask you two key questions just to help you evaluate a little bit of where you are and where your future may, where the next steps may be for you. So the first question goes like this, kind of based off that opening quote from Michael Yearly. Uh, the, 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 yeah, Dr. Michael Yearly. Uh, the right reverend, the right reverend, Dr. Michael Right, who doesn't have a pride issue at all. Just, uh, right. Number one, here we go. How honest are you with your deepest thoughts, emotions, and motives? How honest are you with your deepest thoughts, emotions, and motives? Why you do what you do? So we talked about this, how important this is that we learn to be radically honest with ourselves in our deepest thoughts, emotions, and motives. But the question is, as you sit here today, that at this point in your life, how would you rate yourself? Like on a scale of one to 10, you don't have to write it down, the person next to you might be looking. <laughs> and they may not be a trusted other, we may not. <laughs> They may be, they may not be. Look at your neighbor and say, are you a trusted other? No, just kidding. Um, but let's say on a scale of, let's make a scale up here, right? So I'm going to be a spectrum from uh, one. From one is total denial. I don't know what I'm thinking. I, I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know why I do what I do. I don't want to know. Uh, Number 10 is radically honest. I feel like I'm really in touch. I mean, we all have limitations here, but to the best of my knowledge, I'm radically honest. It doesn't scare me to go inside. It doesn't scare me to really ask the question, why are you doing? Why are you upset? What are you thinking? What's bugging you? Um, what, you, know, what, what, you know, what, what, what's that about? Um, and that's kind of radically honest, right? So you're at a scale of one to 10, and you know, five is in the middle, obviously. And so, you know, like, how would you score yourself? And uh, for example, you say, well, how do I know where to put my mark? Um, well, it depends on how honest you want to be. <laughs> no, um, but 
for example, um, like how natural is it for you? How good are, good are you at identifying your emotions? How good are you identifying, like recognizing that you're feeling something, identifying what it is, being able to name it accurately, and then be able to own it. So what's wrong? I'm angry. Why? Because she said this. Why did they make it? Because of this. And because of this. Well, how do you think about it? That you're really fluent in your emotional life. You know, you're like, what's wrong? I don't know. Well, do you want to talk about it? No. Well, how are you going to deal with it? I don't need to deal with it. I just get over it. That's on the lower end of the scale, all right? <laughs> now, the beautiful thing about this is that remember what I said last week, as we go on this journey, one of our big three principles is the word is going to show us the way. And that is so true in that one of the things I love about the Bible is how radically honest it is and how it gives us permission and encourages us to be radically honest. Like, let me give you just a few of my favorite examples. Let's talk about Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was called to speak as a prophet for, uh, for Israel, prophet for God for, for, for Israel, the southern kingdom, um, when he was very young, still a teenager probably, um, and he was given a very difficult assignment. And the nation of Israel had long been in rebellion, and the message is, it's over for you, you're going to captivity, you're going to get destroyed, and you all deserve it. <laughs> and uh, so it's a very tough message, and God met him and said, uh, and he said, I don't want to do, I can't do this. I'm too young. No, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to strengthen you. I will protect you. They will fight against you, but I'll make you like a fortified city against them. I will make your forehead like bronze. And over the next 20, 30, 40 years, there was many times when Jeremiah felt like, God, you're not keeping up your end of the bargain here. Uh, you're not protecting. This is like way too nerve-wracking. And one of my favorite moments is in chapter 20 when he says, uh, oh, oh, Lord, Yahweh, oh, Yahweh, you deceived me, and I was deceived. I've about had it with you. You lied to me, and I bought the lie. Whoa. Hey, have a little respect here. It's Yahweh. You know, like, I, I, very honest. Would you call that Honest. Yeah, when was the last time you said, God, I, I'm mad at you. I'm really, I'm sick of this. You told me, you promised me, and you haven't come through. You lied to me. Your word said, you lied to me, and I bought the lie. I'm the sucker here. Right? Pretty honest. Here's one, Job. You know, you know the story of Job, you know, going through really tough times, trying to figure out why. He thinks God must be behind this, and so why is God doing this? And so in chapter 7, and this is a long book. What, it's got like 40 chapters or something? He's already out in chapter 7. He's like, I despise my life. I would not live forever. I don't want to live forever. Let me alone. My days have no meaning. What is man you make so much of him that you give him so much attention? You examine him every morning, test him every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I've sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? You get that? What have I done to you, no, uh, the watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why don't you just pardon my offenses and call it even? For I will soon lie down in the dust. You're going to look for me. I'll be here no more. David, of course, says, you know, in the psalm, so honest, so many of the psalmists, but I love Psalm 10. Why, Yahweh, do you stand far off? He's going through a really hard time. Why, Yahweh, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Like, where are you? You said you would be with me, and it's like you're nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt that way? Jesus himself, we often just miss and underestimate the depth of emotion in Jesus at Gethsemane. We're told in Hebrews he was crying tears, he was crying out to God. He was begging God. He's on his face. 
He's sweating blood, like his tears, like the size of blood. And it says in Mark's account, he begins to become deeply distressed and troubled. Catch that? Deeply distressed. He is really upset. He's troubled. That word terrasso, like the sea being churned. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I feel like I'm going to die. I love the quote from Brennan Manning. To sometimes we harbor an unexpressed suspicion that Jesus cannot handle all that goes on in our, heart, our minds and hearts. We doubt that he can accept our hateful thoughts, our cruel fantasies, our bizarre dreams. We wonder how he would deal with our primitive urges, our inflated illusions, our exotic mental castles. The deep resistance to making ourselves so vulnerable, so naked, so unprotected is our implicit way of saying, Jesus, I trust you, but there are limits. And by refusing to share our fantasies, our worries and joys, we limit God's lordship over our life and make clear that there are parts of us that we do not wish to submit to a divine conversation it seems that the master had something more in mind when he said, trust in me. See, men and women, when Jesus came after you, he came after you uh, for a very deep relationship. And his goal, his vision for your life is to restore you, body, soul, and spirit, some now, some then. And he's come after you, and there's no part of your life that should be off limits to him. And there is no part that you have, there's no room in your life you need to be afraid to go in that he will go with you, not as your accuser, but as your savior. And so as followers of Jesus, we should have the most courage of any people to be radically honest because there there'll be healing. And you say, well, how do I grow in this? And I this is hard for me, and I get that. It's, for some people, it just seems naturally harder than others. Often life experiences, we'll talk about that in future weeks, but life experiences, uh, our families, things, a lot of things can, uh, can impact this. But one practical thing I would suggest, if you want to grow in this area, is you get a journal, and as you go through your life, and you're praying through your life, that when you're going through hard times, when something feels wrong inside of you, just to begin to jot some bullet notes down on your journal of what, to the best of your knowledge, what you're feeling. I'm not asking you to write out sentences or paragraphs, just a bullet. Maybe it's, maybe it's fear, or maybe it's doubt, or unsettledness, or unrest, or bitterness, or hatred, or anger. What, what are it? Just bullet notes. And then after you write down the best that you know, here's what I'm feeling, ask yourself, why am I feeling this? And then keep on asking till you feel like there are no more answers. Well, I think I'm angry. Okay, why? Well, because what she said. Yeah, but why does that make you so angry? Well, because of this. Yeah, but why that? And you just keep asking the why until you get down to as far as you can go, this is what I'm feeling, here's why I'm feeling it. And then catch this, once we're there, we bring it into the presence of King Jesus. And we say, Lord, to the best of my knowledge, this is what's going on. I ask you to speak into my life. I ask you to understand this. And I'm feeling this hatred, and I'm feeling this desire to strike back, and I, I feel so insecure, and I just feel like a wounded, and I feel like this, and and we bring it into his presence. And we bring it to process it there with him. And there in the presence of King Jesus, as you process it, you become a real person. And you discover what's making you tick. And you enter into a relationship with Jesus that's closer than any other relationship. Because you're praying the prayer of Psalms. Search me, O God. And know my heart and see if there's a hurtful way in me. And it's there in the presence of Jesus as you, you uncover the fears, you uncover the anger, you uncover the hatred, the envy, you uncover it. Now, Jesus has something to work with because he has come and he can't help righteous people. 
and can only help sinners. Amen? Amen. I have a second question for you, though. And the second question goes like this. How honest with you are you about your past? How honest are you about your past? So we all have a past, and we all have good, bad, and ugly in our past. We all have past decisions we are ashamed of, choices that we've made that we would do anything to do over. We've had life experiences, things we've done, things that have been done to us. We've got hurts and pains, we've got successes and failures. And the question is, how honest with you are you about your past, and especially the pain of the past? Here's the thing, if we're not honest about the pain of the past, it has a way of forcing itself into the present and the future in ways that we are often even unaware of. One of the greatest influences of our past is our families. You know, our families that we grew up, our, we call them families of origin. And often, um, we, you know, we pick up so much consciously and unconsciously from our family about who we are, who God is, how relationships work. I love what the parrots put there. You know, Dr. Lesson, Leslie Parrot, the Christian counselors, we had them here last year for fight night. They said, no other relationship shapes who we are more than our family. Most of what we think and feel, say and do is in response to the home we grew up in. On a conscious level, we either buy into or reject the lessons learned from our family, but on an unconscious level, through a kind of osmosis, we absorb ways of thinking, feeling, and being. And of course, it's not just families, right? There are other key events, sometimes from childhood, that have shaped us. Um, sometimes it's uh, experiences growing up in high school or the military. It's... Um, it's things that have happened to us, things that have been done to us. Sometimes it's been, maybe it's some sort of abuse. It's a childhood abuse of some sort, a, a physical, a sexual abuse. It's a rape, it's an abortion. It's a, a chemical dependency. It's a failure out of, flunking out of school. It's broken relationships, it's betrayals. And sometimes in our pain, we just wanna, forget the past and just say, I don't need to go back to the past. I just need to leave the past in the past and I need to move forward. But the reality is our past shapes us. And when we, when we try to leave the past in the past, it has ways of climbing out into our present and destroying our future. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to be able to bring the past into the presence of God where we can find healing and perspective so we can truly leave the past the past. Now, just to be clear on this, I'm not talking about some kind of uh, overly introspective, navel-gazing, <laughs> self-absorption, but I'm just saying that in our life, when things are triggering us from our past, we cannot just put a lid on that trigger. We need to say, why is that happening? Why when I go to that place, why when I see that person, why when I have this experience, my emotions go haywire? This fear comes up. Why is that happening? And if we just put a lid on that and say, I'm not going back there, I'm not thinking about that, we will never be able to move into the future that God has for us. So two, two questions. How honest with you are, are you about your, what you're thinking, your feeling, your motives, and how honest are you about your past? Because what we're learning today is if we want to grow, if we want to be transformed, if we want to grow in love, then we have to grow up spiritually, emotionally, relationally, in our character. In order for that to happen, the first step is to become radically honest with ourselves 
and with God and some trusted others. And as we do that, we will be transformed and we will have the capacity to love others as he has loved us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, the beauty of your word, the authenticity, the honesty of your word that calls for us to live in truth, not to hide, not to pretend, but to bring who we are, all of who we are, into your presence so we can be healed and restored and transformed and be able to connect and love others at a very deep level because we have connected with you at a very deep level. And Father, we pray as we continue in worship, as we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, will you use these to build a place that loves others well, that people can look and say, I know that they are followers of Jesus for the love they have for one another. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are a God of glory and wonder. And you come to us, walking to us, to each one of us in this room, like you came to Matthew. You knew his past. You knew his sin. You knew his heart. You knew his greed. You knew his compromise. You know the way he'd ripped off and hurt poor people. You knew his life story. You knew his family life. You know why he'd made the decisions he made. You know why he had compromised himself and turned away from his faith. You knew him inside and out, but you also knew that there was a future for him, a bright future. That if he would follow you, you could heal him. And so Jesus, you walked to him that day at that customs booth, the last person anyone would have expected. And you said, I, I want you. Follow me. And he was the most shocked man around. And all he could do is throw a party, invite all his rowdy friends to meet this man that offered to change all their lives, regardless of what they've been or who they were, the evil in their hearts, if they would only come and let him be a doctor to them. Lord, may this week, may you walk to each of us in fresh new ways. Will you come to us at our jobs? Will you come to us at our homes? Will you come to us as your Matthews, your Levites? Will you come to us and reaffirm your love that you want us? You want us as we are, complete with all our baggage and our fears, our doubts, our hatreds, our envies, our lusts our failures, our success. You want us. And you want to do something with our life, something beautiful. You want to show us your glory and wonder. You want to show us how our hearts were made to beat. And that we have no fear. We don't need to have fear you. We need to, to fear being afraid, to be honest with you, that you've come to heal us. You've come not to condemn. You've come to heal. And that we'll listen and we'll follow You'll heal us from the inside out. You'll transform us to be new people, honest people, authentic people, people that are honest with ourselves, honest with you, honest with others, people that can go out and love others as you've loved us because of that healing. And so Lord, we pray you'd come to us this week. Remind us that each of our, our name is Matthew and that you love us. Would you call them our deepest fears? We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. What amazing message that we have to share and to experience a God who comes up to us at our tax collector's booths. All the screwed up lives, worse than we even know we are. But he comes not to condemn, he comes to heal. And may this be a week where the Holy Spirit strikes courage in your heart, that you're more confident than ever that you can be, bring your true self into his presence. 
your deepest thoughts, your deepest emotions, your deepest motives. And there, you'll find healing and forgiveness and restoration. That you'll be renewed in the image of your Creator. That you might have the capacity to love others as He has loved us. Amen. Amen. This will be a week of growth for you. If you need prayer today about anything, we've got a beautiful prayer team over to my right, your left, against the wall. They have badges on. They would love to pray with you, whatever. Until next week, when we continue this journey, may the Lord be with you, and may it be a week of growth as you pursue Him with a full heart. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you. I'll see you next weekend.